passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good, good morning. Uh, excited that you are here with us as we continue our sermon series on why work matters to God. And if you haven't been with us for the uh, last few weeks, we've been going through this series looking at work, something that we all do, and we've been looking specifically at how and why that work matters to God. We, we saw that work matters to God for first and foremost because God created it, and he created it to be a good thing. God himself is a God who works and he created us to work alongside him. We also saw that work matters to God because even though uh, sin cursed the, the uh, cursed work itself, Jesus, when he came, he came and redeemed work. He made work more significant than it once was. Another reason why it matters to God. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that work matters to God because uh, of its significance in light of eternity. We saw that our work matters today because it will determine our future position and our future work in the new heavens and the new earth. Many different things that we saw of why work matters to God. This morning we're going to look at another thing. Another reason why work is crucial to God. And that is because our work has a great influence on who we are as people. See, the reality is work shapes us just like our education shapes us, just like our families shape us, just like our friendship, our hobbies. All of these things shape us, including our work. Work matters because it creates or forms who we are as people. Even the world recognizes this to some extent. This is why you see in high school and in colleges the importance of internships. You see a number of people who will do an internship, whether it's unpaid or even they will pay for an internship because of the significance it will have on their later career path. They desire to get into a certain career, and so they will do whatever it takes to make sure that they start off on the right foot. While I was in seminary, a friend of mine actually would work throughout the entire school year, not so that way he could pay off his school, not so that way he could avoid taking out loans, but so that he could spend thousands of dollars every summer to go to Israel and to work on archaeological digs. He wanted to become a professor of biblical archaeology, and he knew that he would have to do the right things or make, the, make sure he's going on the right path to accomplish that. Work matters because it shapes who we are. It shapes our position in society. But work doesn't just shape our position in society. Uh, Martin Luther, who was a pastor in the 1500s, points out that work does much more than that. He points out that work is one of the ways that God works in us. God uses work to form us, to make us more like him. He uses work, God uses work to change who we are. Imagine if you're a lump of clay. And because you're a lump of clay, God uses different tools to form you, to mold you, to shape you into what he desires for you. And one of those tools is your work, is your vocation that God has called you to. Who you are 
your experiences, your relationships, the way that you look at, world, at the world, all of those will be very different based upon the career that you are in. For example, if you are a pharmacist, you are going to look at the world differently than a carpenter will. Well, maybe not night and day difference, but you will look at the world differently. Neither one of those is better than the other. It's just different. It doesn't matter what career path you find yourself in. A farmer or someone who is in a desk job will look at the world differently. Their work experiences will influence the ways that they operate with others, the ways that they relate to God even. All of those are influenced by our work. But it's not just our individual work that shapes us. After all, we are shaped by the culture of work that we find ourselves in. 60 to 70 years ago, it wouldn't have been uncommon for you to work with people who only believed or looked at the world the exact same way that you did. Today, it's not all that uncommon to work alongside an atheist. Someone of a different religion or no religion whatsoever, just doesn't care about religion. Someone from a broken home. Many people with different backgrounds, many different worldviews, ways of making sense of the world. And because we operate in this culture, it forces us to wrestle through what our view of work, what our view of the world will be like in a way that is different than it was 60 to 70 years ago. See, the question is not, are we formed or are we influenced by our work? The question is, how? are we influenced by our work? Dallas Willard, who uh, is a former professor at USC of philosophy, uh, wrote a book called Renovation of the Heart. And in that book, he points out that all of us have been formed spiritually. All of us are undergoing some sort of spiritual formation through our experiences, through our actions, and even through our work itself. He says this, all people undergo a spiritual formation. You have had a spiritual formation, and I have had one, and it is still ongoing. It is like education. Everyone gets one, whether good or bad. See, God cares about your work because it changes you. It forms you. It has the potential to make you bitter, and it has the potential to make you holy. Just think of your past experiences with coworkers, both good and bad. Think of your past experiences with bosses, both good and bad. When you've seen people do things unethically or stay true to their convictions. When you've experienced disappointments and when you've experienced joys at work. All of these things influence the ways that we look at the world. How would these, I'm going to give two examples. How would these things form you? Let's say that you were fired from your position of employment. Would you respond with bitterness towards God? Or would you respond with an increasing sense of dependency upon him? Again, your work is going to change you. The situation in your work is going to change you for good or for bad. Another example, let's say you get a promotion at work. Are you going to respond with thanksgiving to God for that promotion? Or are you going to respond with pride in your uh, self-accomplishments? Your work will transform you. Your work will change you. It's not a question of if, but the question is how. See, the ironic thing is the exact same uh, event can have drastically different 
transformations on different people. Being fired can draw people near to God. It can draw people, push people away from God. Getting a uh, raise or a promotion can draw people near to God. It can push them away from God. Our work is filled with obstacles and opportunities. And most of the time, they're the exact same thing. The question is, how will we let our work transform us? As you can probably guess, God desires for our work to make us holy. God desires for our work to make us more like him. And here's the great, wonderful news for all of us this morning. Every single one of us, regardless of what position you find yourself in, every single one of us is in a position, is in a vocation, where you can be drawn closer to God through that work. It doesn't matter if you are an accountant. It doesn't matter if you're a grocery store clerk. It doesn't matter if you're a mechanic. You can be drawn near to God through your work. But here's the danger and a bit of a warning as well. Every single one of us is also in a position where we can be pushed away from God in our work. It doesn't matter if you are a farmer or a teacher or a stay-at-home mother or even a pastor. Every single one of us is in a position of, of work where we can be drawn near to God or pushed away from him. And so the obvious question for us this morning as we wrestle through how does our work change us is the question, well, how do I make sure my work changes me the right way? How can I be sure that my work makes me more like Jesus and doesn't make me more like the world? That's the question we're going to be exploring this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Romans. We're going to be at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the first two verses of this chapter. And many of you are familiar with this passage. Many of you probably have this passage memorized. It's a crucial passage as we talk about work. And as we talk about the way our work transforms us and it changes us, not just work, but all of life, but we're going to specifically focus on work this morning. As we approach God's word, please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of scripture. We thank you that it is the way that you speak to us today. And God, as we open your word, we pray that you would do that even now. Teach us more of who you are, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we approach Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, there's something we have to recognize. It's going to be the, the groundwork for all that we talk about this morning, and that is this, that all of our lives are discipleship. All of life is discipleship. Paul gets at this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, if this is your first time hearing this passage, you might be a little nervous. You might say, well, sacrifice. I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I do know what they do with sacrifices, and I'm not a big fan of the idea of being called to sacrifice myself. So let's unpack what Paul means here when he talks about being a living sacrifice and he talks about this concept of spiritual worship and we'll see how it applies to work specifically. Over the past several weeks, if you've been with us, you've probably heard us mention this concept of work as worship. We've talked about it several times here in Spencer. Uh, We've landed on this over and over that we're supposed to view our work as an opportunity to worship God. But the question is, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to worship God through our work? Why do we keep repeating that without explaining it? Is it just because we like alliterations here at Crosswinds? 
Well, when we think of worship, we oftentimes, I know I'm, I'm one of the people who thinks this way, when we think of worship, we can have a tendency to think of Sunday morning gatherings. We can think of the, the time of music before and after the sermon is given. But that's a pretty narrow view of worship. But the good news for us is, even though we have a narrow view of worship, the people in Paul's day had a pretty narrow view of worship as well. They, they, when Paul talked about worship, they would have had similar thoughts going through their mind. When Paul talked about worship, they wouldn't have thought of church services. They would have thought of the temple. And they would have thought of sacrifices offered at that temple. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the temple of the God of Israel, or we're talking about the temple of Zeus, or the temple of Diana, or, or a number of other different gods. It doesn't matter. They would have all thought of worship as an act uh, uh, of sacrifice in the temple. And so Paul's original audience probably would have been caught off guard here, too, by him talking about worship and saying that they are supposed to live their lives as worship. So what's Paul saying here? What Paul is telling us is that because of all that God has done for us, that's what he talks about in the first 11 chapters of Romans. In the first 11 chapters, he explains the gospel. He explains what God has done for us through Jesus he talks about the great sacrifice that Christ made for us while we were still sinners. He talks about the fact that there is nothing that can now separate us from the love of Christ. He focuses on this great, wonderful grace of God. He says, because of all of that, live your life as worship. Live lives that are worshipful, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day of the week, every act that you do, make sure it is worship. The question is, well, how do we do that? Paul gives us at least one way that we can do this here in, in verse 1, when he says that we can view our lives and our work especially as worship by growing in holiness and by living lives that are pleasing and acceptable to God. So he says in verse 1, grow in holiness and live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God. See, Paul makes explicit what we've already talked about earlier, that each and every one of us has the chance to grow as a Christian through our work. And the way we do that is by living a life that is pleasing to God. I might be saying, okay, well, that makes sense. Sounds all right. Uh, I understand what you're talking about here. But what about this concept of spiritual worship? That doesn't sound a lot like this concept of work as worship to me. That's a good question. What does spiritual worship mean? To me, when I hear spiritual worship, it brings up images of very emotional music and, and people raising their hands in the middle of music. And, and some of you are saying, well, if we're talking about spiritual worship and we're talking about work as worship, does that mean that when I'm in the middle of a sales call, I have to raise my hands and worship to God in the middle of that sales call? Because if that's the case, then some of us are absolutely mortified by that. And I, I don't blame you for being mortified in the middle of a sales call if that's what Paul is calling us to do here. So what does spiritual worship mean, and how does that apply to work as worship? Well, if we look at the context of Romans chapter 12, when it talks about this spiritual worship, what he really means is that we're supposed to just live out lives of thoughtful worship. Thoughtful worship. You want to know how to live a life of worship at work? 
Think through your actions. Think about how you can grow in holiness through your work. Think about how you can conduct yourself in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to God in your work. If you think that Christianity is opposed to using your brain and to thinking, then you have a real problem with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul wants us to live spiritually significant lives by thinking through our actions, not just on Sundays, but each and every day. The phrase WWJD, what would Jesus do, makes a terrible gospel. Doing what Jesus did, trying to emulate Jesus in our lives, won't save us. But it's a great way of understanding how to worship while we are at work. It calls us to engage our minds while we are at work. It causes us to ask questions like, how is my work helping in human flourishing? How is what I'm doing right now helping society? How is my specific occupation for the good of others? That's what it means to live lives of spiritual worship. It means to ask questions in difficult situations like, how can I make much of Jesus in the middle of this situation? What would Jesus do right now? And then we do it. That's what it means to live lives of spiritual worship. But the reality is, here in the United States, we have a tendency to separate our idea of worship and the rest of our lives. We kind of operate in two different spheres, if you will. And we call this dualism, two different uh, parts of our lives. And it's not found anywhere in scripture, but it's part of, uh, honestly, our culture. We tend to think of a spiritual side of our lives. It includes Sunday mornings. It includes our early morning, early morning or late night devotionals. It includes even time with our family. And then there's this other side of our lives that includes our work. And sure, we might try to apply the sermon on Sunday mornings to our jobs on Monday through Friday, but the reality is sometimes we can just get to a point where we just uh, throw up our hands and resignedly say, you know what, let's just get through this day. That way I can get home and get back to loving my kids, loving my spouse, being a good neighbor to those who are around me because that's what God wants me to to do. But the reality is, this understanding of two different spheres of our lives, this dualism, is not found anywhere in the Bible. This is especially seen in our understanding of balance. How many of you have wrestled with, in the past, uh, balance in your life? All right, pretty much everyone uh, who raised their hand is honest, and the other ones are not paying attention. So, uh, (laughs) just kidding. Um, Balance uh, is a tough question for us to wrestle through. We wrestle with how do we balance work and family? How do we balance time with our spouse and the needs of our children? And a lot of times we can think of our lives as, as a juggling act where we have five, six, seven different balls in the air and we're trying to juggle all of these different things and then all of a sudden someone comes up to us and oftentimes is a pastor and says, hey, by the way, you're a Christian. So don't forget about God. And they throw another ball into the ring. And so you got to keep juggling all of these different balls. I'm going to be honest. I'm a terrible juggler. Real life, I think I failed the 
second grade PE unit on juggling, and, and when it comes to balancing my life, just not a good juggler. The good news of Scripture is that God is not another ball to juggle. Discipleship is not another ball to juggle. The call to follow Jesus is supreme in our lives. It's the most important thing that God calls us to. And the way that we follow him is through faithfully following him with our family, faithfully following him at church, faithfully following him at our kids' sporting activities and other activities, and faithfully following him at work. The call to follow Jesus reigns supreme in our lives. There's not a square inch of our lives where the call to follow Jesus does not ring true. There's not a square inch of our lives that God himself is not Lord. All of our lives are discipleship. And that includes our work. We talked about that a little, but, but what are some specific ways that our lives can, can be discipleship? What are, what are some specific ways that we can look at our work through this lens of discipleship? And that's what Paul gets at in the next verse. Take a look at, at verse 2 here in chapter 12. It says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, here Paul goes a little deeper into how we can worship God through work, how we can be transformed through our work, and that is this. We have to approach our work with a transformed mind. We must approach our work with a transformed mind. This really has two parts. First is a refusal to conform to the world, and second is a commitment to transformation. So first, let's look at this first one, a refusal to conform to the world. Start with a question. How many of you have been to water park before? Okay, got quite a few people. Uh, How many of you have experienced the greatest thing that is ever at a water park, uh, what I consider to be the pinnacle of human civilization, uh, what is basically a little taste of heaven here on earth, the thing that's called the lazy river? All right, we got a, we got a couple people uh, who, who have experienced that. Lazy rivers uh, are incredible. I don't think that life gets any better than sitting in a tube and floating endlessly in a circle uh, <laughs> for as long as you possibly want, relaxing, soaking up what I, what I think is what life was meant to be. That's a lazy river. If you've never had the pleasure of being on one, uh, let me explain. It's basically a man-made circle with a current that goes around a large part of the water park. There's several different entrances. There are also exits, but I've never seen anyone exit. Just enter the lazy river, and you grab a tube, and you just sit as you go around in a circle for as long as you possibly want. I think the only reason people leave lazy rivers is because their kids get bored. Their kids start splashing someone else, and so you have to deal with that. Or you turn into a lobster because you're so sunburned. I think those only three reasons to leave a lazy river. Now, as you can guess, I, I like lazy rivers. I think they're wonderful at theme parks, but they are terrible approaches to work. A lazy river is a terrible approach to work. Because the reality is, our culture and our world is not a lazy river. 
going in a circle. But scripture tells us that the current of our world flows away from Christ. It never turns around. It only flows away from Christ. And so if we are passive in our work, if we just go with the flow, then we will be led away from Christ. I mentioned that our work has the ability to change us in a way that leads us away from Jesus. And if you want to know the way to do that, it's very, very simple. It's to do simply nothing. It will take care of itself. It is natural for you to conform. It is natural for you to be led away from Christ. There are countless examples in the workplace. Let me just uh, make one up here. Uh, Let's say that you were part of a leadership team at your place of employment. And your place of employment is pretty successful, and so you're creating a new position. And you and the rest of your leadership team are gathered together, and you are going to create a job description as well as salary and benefits for this new position. You'll get together, and you'll work on it together. Now, you do some of your research, and you look at the other positions or similar positions in other uh, companies, and you realize what market value is, and let's just say X dollars, okay? But you realize the economy's tough. You could very easily get away with paying this person $10,000, worth uh, less than their market value worth. You know that every single person on the leadership team is going to suggest that amount of money. You know that every single person on your leadership team has no problem lowballing your future employee. You know that this is a sought-after position. And so there's not going to be any shortage of people who want this position. You can even rationalize it and say, well, if we save $10,000, $15,000 now, that means we can save up a little bit more money and help someone else by giving another person a position a little bit later on down the road. But is this conformity to the world? Is this thinking the way that the world thinks? What does it mean to be conformed to the world in this situation? means to just do what's natural, to just go with the flow, to think only of yourself, because that's natural. Everyone else is doing it. Now, I don't know what the right answer in that situation is. I don't know if the right way of looking at this is to think of it as a frugal business decision. I don't know if it means to give that person the market value for their position or even more than that. But I do know that the easiest option is to just not think critically, not worry about the implications of this, to not be transformed, to just conform. The first step to approaching our lives, our work with a transformed mind, is a refusal to conform to the world. The second thing is this, a commitment to transformation. Now notice this language that's found in in Romans 12 too. It says that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Question for you, how do you be transformed? How do you be transformed? It's difficult to think about because it's a passive. It's a command for you to do something and yet it's something that happens 
to you. Paul is making it very clear that there is something that you're supposed to be doing. But also at the same time, it's ultimately God who does it to you. God is the one who ultimately transforms your heart, transforms your mind. So what do we do? How do we make sure that our minds are transformed? How do we make sure that we refuse to conform to this world and we're transformed by the renewal of our mind? Well, let's take a look at that a little bit more in depth. How do we work with a transformed mind? For that matter, how do we get a transformed mind in the first place? That's what we're going to explore the rest of our time this morning. When we talk about a transformed mind, and we talk especially about working with a transformed mind, uh, it really boils down to one thing. And that one thing is relatively simple. It's a commitment to God's word. It's a commitment to God's word. Thinking through your work situations, thinking about the ways that you can worship God in your work are primarily done through a commitment to God's word. It's through consistent exposure to scripture that our minds and our hearts are transformed to be more like Jesus. See, every single one of us, our minds are like a sponge. They will soak up whatever they are immersed in. If you immerse your mind in daytime television, what's going to happen to your mind? If you immerse your mind in divisive political talk radio, what's going to happen to your mind? What's it going to look like? What is it going to reflect? If you immerse your mind in nothing but our culture, what's going to happen to your mind? What is your mind going to look like if you immerse your mind in Scripture? What will your mind look like? That's the call of Romans chapter 12. To immerse ourselves in scripture. And through that, we will see a radical transformation in the ways that we work and the ways that our work transforms us. I might be saying, well, Jordan, that's, that's easy for you to say. After all, you're a pastor. Um, it's kind of your job to, to spend time in scripture all the time. Uh, so what about the rest of us who, who don't have that luxury? Uh, to that, I say, touche, uh, good point. Um, that's why I think that there are four practical tips that we see in scripture about ways that we can uh, apply a transformed mind to our work and really to our lives as a whole no matter what occupation we find ourselves in. So we're just going to close with four practical tips as Scripture talks about of ways that we can apply, uh, our, apply Scripture to our minds. First is this. Take Scripture with you. Take Scripture with you. Even if you have a consistent daily devotional life, it's very easy to get into the habit of read it and forget it and not to apply it to our lives. And so the first thing that we must do is to keep scripture in our minds throughout each and every day. You might be saying, well, how on earth do I do that? The easiest solution is to bring it with you. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that we'll read here in a few seconds that shows about how important this is, how crucial this is for growth and godliness. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I love that passage of scripture. What is Deuteronomy telling Israel to do? Telling them to take the words that God commanded them, and, and by extension for us, the, the words of the Bible, and to keep them on their heart. Some really great stuff in here about parenting. Just want to skip ahead to, to verse 8, one of the last few phrases there, and see what specifically uh, Deuteronomy commands us as we talk about work. First, it tells us to bind Scripture on our hands. Second thing is to wear Scripture on our heads. Third thing is to write Scripture on the doorposts of our house. And the fourth thing is to write it on the gates of our property. might sound a little bit weird to you, but what Deuteronomy is making clear and saying, in other words, wherever you are, make sure that you have the words of the Bible with you. Wherever you are, make sure scripture is with you. And thanks be to God for advances in technology. So now we can bring scripture with us and we don't have to wear a Bible hat as they had to in that day. Because of the inventing of the printing press, now each and every one of us can bring a Bible with us. They're mass-produced, and it's relatively easy for us to bring with us. If, we don't ha- if you don't have a Bible, uh, our church would just love to give you one as a way of getting God's Word in your hands. Just talk to me after the service. We'll make sure we get you a, a Bible for that very reason. Now, if you can't bring your Bible to your place of employment, uh, there's a- another wonderful advancement in technology, the smartphone. Uh, There are tons of apps out there that have the Bible on them. It's a much easier way to bring the Bible with you. Of course, you might say, well, I'm not in a place where I can have my Bible out, or I'm not in a place where I can have my phone out. And that's great. Uh, I understand that that in work. Um, And so, print it out. Write it out on note cards and bring it with you. Just a few verses with you each and every day, to bring Scripture with you. Talking about the app thing, uh, just, just one question. What would happen if we decided to delete the Facebook app off of our phones? Not, not delete or get rid of Facebook in general, just delete it off of our phones. What would happen if we did that and replaced it with a Bible app on our phone? I think it would go a long way in preparing our hearts and transforming our hearts to be more like Christ. Let's take the words of Scripture with us, but it's more than just that, and that's why our second tip comes into play here, and that is this, to meditate on Scripture throughout each day. Meditate on Scripture throughout each day. If you're not in a job where you can have your Bible out or your phone out, uh, honestly, that, that's fine. Um, actually, I, that's a better place to be because that means you need to commit Scripture to memory and to bring it with you in your heart. To bring scripture with you in your heart. 
Deuteronomy gets at this. It's very clear in Deuteronomy. There's another passage in Colossians that talks about this as well. If you look at Colossians 3.17, it's a profoundly important verse when it talks about seeing our work as worship, seeing all of life as discipleship. It says this, 3.17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, uh, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. I mentioned it's profoundly important because it's saying that whatever we do, whether we're at church or whether we're at work, we should worship God with what we're doing. We should give glory to God with what we're doing. But notice what it says right before that in verse 16 of Colossians 3. It says how we do that, how we worship God, give thanks to God in our work. It says this in Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. You want to know how you're able to live all of life as worship? To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The psalmist paints a beautiful picture of this. It's probably my favorite psalm, Psalm 1, of what happens if we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Such powerful imagery there. And the good news is that each and every one of us at work could be like a tree planted by streams of water. Each and every one of us could bear fruit at our work. Each and every one of us could be a tree that's leaf does not wither. Each and every one of us could be one who prospers if we let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. Again, you might be saying, well, what about while I'm at work? Shouldn't my mind be on work and not on the Bible? That's where another wonderful tip, another beautiful gift that God has given us comes into play, and that is this, the ability to multitask at work. The ability to multitask at work. Psalm 16 says this, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. How is it that the psalmist is ever able to say, I have set the Lord ever before me? It's because God is continually on his mind. Now I've heard of the dangers of multitasking. There's plenty of research out there that says you should not multitask. It actually makes you really uh, unproductive at your work. I I have no issue with that. So what do I mean when I'm talking about multitasking at work? I'm just simply referring to this idea of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. An example of this from my own life. Um, Every single time that I've spent a significant amount of time memorizing scripture, it has been the it's been uh, applicable to all of my life, everywhere I go. Several years ago, a friend of mine and I, we challenged each other to memorize the entire book of First John. 
Uh, not only did we challenge each other to do that, we challenged each other to memorize a chapter a week, which I wouldn't recommend. It's, it's really foolish uh, to do it that fast. You, you don't remember anything after you actually have it memorized, which is really kind of unfortunate. But I will tell you this. If you spend that much time memorizing, meditating, and dwelling upon God's word, every single thing in your life, whether at home or whether at work, will apply to what you just read. And everything that you just read and are memorizing will apply to what you're experiencing. When I, when I was doing this, I was in the service industry. And I would be having conversations with people. And it, while I'm having these conversations with people, I'm just thinking about what I had read. And thinking about the way what I had read applies to my conversations. I was, uh, whenever I was on the computer, I'd be thinking about why did John word it this way and not word it that way? I'd be troubleshooting, problem-solving, and praising God for the, the goodness of his word. What does it mean to multitask when it comes to scripture at work? It just simply means to meditate on it, to let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. That's one of the reasons why I'm so excited uh, about this push this summer that, that we're doing here at Crosswinds about memorizing uh, little verses of scripture. In your bulletin, you'll actually see a little card and it has a passage of scripture on it. We'd love for you to memorize that together as a family. We'd love for the, the husbands and the men to kind of take the lead on that, to have your family memorize that. I believe it's Proverbs this coming Sunday. It's a tangible, simple, easy way for us to let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts. To let our minds be transformed by the power of God's word. And from there, to let our transformed minds transform the way that we work. That leads us to our fourth and final tip, which is more of a result of the first three than anything, and that is this, to work in the Spirit. When you're at work, just work in the Spirit. Saturate yourself with Scripture. And when you do that, when you saturate yourself with Scripture, the Spirit will work through you just as much as you are at work yourself. The more Bible that you soak up, the more fruit you will bear, the more you will be led by the Spirit. That's why this morning is really about one thing, and that's this. In order to be transformed at our work, we need to first have our minds transformed by the Word. In order for us to be transformed at our work or by our work in a good, godly, Christ-exalting way, we must first have our minds transformed by the power of the Word. See, each and every one of us will be transformed by our work, one way or the other. And the only way for us to be transformed, to be more like Christ, is for us to devote ourselves to Scripture, to soak our minds in Scripture. Whatever you do, this is true. Whatever position you find yourself in, you can no longer be conformed to the world. And you must be transformed to work more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you that it transforms us through your word. God, we ask even now that you would be showing us how to do that. Give us the strength to transform our hearts. Not because it's something that we do, but something that you do through the saturation of your word. 
God, we desire for our work to transform us to be more like you. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.